This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Hey guys, quick thing. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by Mook Delivery, bringing you the food you love. Mook Delivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the result, you'll always be winning with Mook Delivery. So the only question left to say is, are you in? Order now on the McDonald's app and you can get reward points delivered too. So the ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus, rewards registration required, points only on menu items, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Hello and welcome to the Gunnatal back again with you guys for another show for another episode of our Raw Reaction series the day after Arsenal have drawn 2-2 with Crystal Palace at the Emirates in a game in which despite all of the build-up and despite all of the apprehension uh, it pretty much went what many kind of grounded Arsenal fans I think probably would have thought it would. I was not one of them Um, as you can tell from our preview shows I did with the members I wasn't grounded about Arsenal and the and the realistic expectation of what we could see. I'm always an optimist. I'm always, always wanting to see and hoping to see a great performance and a great result. And again, we didn't get that um, in the game against uh, against Crystal Palace last night. Really disappointing performance. Some bright sparks that we'll definitely talk about and the positives that were in that game as well. But I'm going to be getting a lot of your thoughts and your feelings and your theories and queries too into the chat box throughout the show. This isn't the normal 8am news show where the day after the games we always do these shows dedicated specifically to talking about the game and getting a lot of your thoughts in the chat box as well. So if you do have something that you'd like to say about the game, then please do throw it into the chat box and we'll try and go through as many of those comments as we feasibly can. Good morning to all of you guys. Good morning, Kaiser, Chris, Colin, Mike, Bungle, morning, Russell, uh, Alan, Anz, um, Matt, Mo, Omar, Ashton. Uh, we've got Nikolai, we've got Tom, we've got further guests in here as well. Thank you all so much for tuning in. Um, where, to, where to start? I suppose we should start with the title of the video, which is the Arsenal are not improving. Now, after the North London derby, I sat here and I was excited again. I was really, you know, I was buoyed by that result. I was thinking, wow, this is what we're capable of achieving under Mikel Arteta. This is the side that I want to see. This is what I can see us doing week in, week out. Now, in that game, we had Granit Xhaka, and that's a separate discussion we're going to have in a second. But Arteta had all of his squad available to him, and he chose a team in which dominated possession in the first half and certainly created plenty of chances that were really good goal scoring chances through the system of the wide areas being utilized and hitting on the counter since that Spurs game a lot of the talk around it was how much of Spurs's bad performance 
led to Arsenal's dominance, especially in the first half, and overall winning the game. And I really tried to put down that side of the argument and focus on the positives of the display, which was that we played really well, and we were clinical, and we created some really good chances. However, when you go into those games against Brighton and then last night against Crystal Palace, you have to look back at that game and go, where did we fall down in certain areas? Now, Spurs in the second half definitely dominated us in the North London derby. They had chances. They ended up scoring. They could have scored again if it wasn't for a really good uh, Aaron Ramsdale save. And when I think about how we've played against Brighton and Crystal Palace, again, we have struggled. There is no style still. We've talked about results that we're getting, but it's the performances that we need to see on a consistent basis to get those results. People talk about how it doesn't matter how we play as long as we win, but if you want to win consistently and you want to go into game after game after game without fear and with confidence and with the expectation that you know that you can win that game, you need to be playing well. If you're grinding away results and you're getting a lucky win here and there or you're getting a lucky free kick that goes in against Burnley or you get a lucky goal from Aubameyang against a Norwich side that you create 30 shooting opportunities but none really that clear cut and you're picking up points here and there, that's a problem. That's a really, really, really big problem because it means that when you go into these games against Crystal Palace, and you make some individual errors that, let's be real, have been we've been waiting for them to happen because they haven't been happening. It's Arsenal. They are going to happen. You are going to see individual mistakes. You can't just flick a switch and turn that ingrained issue that is at Arsenal off. It's going to take time again to push those silly individual errors out of this team. And to be honest, you can't do it for every single game ever. It just doesn't happen. The biggest teams in the world make silly mistakes. But... We have been lessening them and they were going to come. But the problem is, is that the way that you tackle that is that when you do concede one or two goals from silly individual errors, that you're playing well enough that you can outscore those defensive errors. And we weren't ever looking like it. I was shocked that we equalised. Absolutely shocked because we didn't create really by that goal scoring chance, by the Abamian goal and by Tierney hitting the bar, a genuinely big chance to score. And that, again, is such a big worry for us. And we can talk about it bringing confidence to Aubameyang and bringing confidence to Lacazette. But there were lots of performances, again, on that pitch that really concerned me. We're going to go through some of the individual performances, but let's see what your overall thoughts were of the game. Um, that was shocking. I'm still fuming, says Omar. Uh, Matt G says, I need a season-long loan from this club. Uh, Matt says, morning, Tom. Disappointed, but not surprised. Uh, yes, Maya, I'm still waiting for my light to come. So apologies that I'm looking quite dark uh, this morning. Uh, you can barely see me. I, I can try and turn the brightness up. But other than that, there isn't really that much, unfortunately, I can do. I'm just having a look at my brightness settings now. Let's see if I can. I mean, that's that's probably the best I can do. I suppose that's better than better than nothing. Um, let's go to uh, Nakul, who says, uh, horrible performance, two weeks of a break from Arsenal, and the most of our players did well on their international duty, but they come back and give us that. Who is to blame if not Arteta? It's not a bad point. I mean, you look at Partey. Partey was excellent for Ghana. Absolutely brilliant for Ghana. His two games, he scored a couple of goals. He had really good performances. He was a leader. He didn't make those errors. He was influential in those games. I've spoken to people that watched him. And he came back today, and again, it was the party that we saw against Brighton. This, he was a bit better than he was a lot better than he was against Brighton. He was absolutely dreadful against Brighton, but he was caught in possession. 
again, taking those shots from outside the box, which then, weirdly, Arteta spoke about after the game, saying he's getting closer. Like, this is a genuine tactic because we are struggling to create goal-scoring opportunities that our midfielders that are not known for scoring lots of long-range goals. It's not a big part of Partey's game. He has scored a few in his career. So have loads of people. But they're not specialists, and Partey isn't a specialist. So why are we encouraging this type of play? Why not play the extra pass trying to create a better goal-scoring opportunity? It's no surprise that Arsenal, I think, are in the bottom three, along ironically with Crystal Palace, for shots taken from the furthest point away from the goal. Whereas clubs like Manchester City and Liverpool and Chelsea that are up there fighting for the title, they are in the range of the closest shots taking on average to the goal. And that's the difference between a really good side and Arsenal right now is that we are not creating goal-scoring opportunities at a high XG range and that are close enough to the goal. And those that don't really care about XG, in this case, it matters. And it's very binary in this sense. Teams that take their chances closer to the goal more frequently score more than teams that can't get as close to the goal with their goal-scoring opportunities. It's as simple as that. The chance of scoring is much higher the closer you are. It lessens the further and further away from the goal that you get. And so being as one of the bottom three clubs with their shot taking as far from the goal as feasibly possible is not a good sign for chance creation. Dave says, morning, Tom. Been away for a while, but that was abysmal last night. Our midfield was completely wrong and Partey was trying to run it himself. No plan B again from Arteta. Worrying. Um, Kian says, I will drive Pepe to the airport if he wants. Let's talk about some individual performances. Let's start with Nicolas Pepe. First 20 minutes, brilliant. Yeah, I can say that. 20 minutes of that game, I thought Pepe was really, really good. However, 70 minutes, bar the cross that he made for the equalising goal, genuinely don't understand why we're using him. I don't understand why he's getting into the team over giving minutes to someone like a Martinelli. I don't know why. I questioned people in the chat after the show yesterday morning, and I said, "Who is who is Martinelli getting in over? And people were talking about saying it was Pepe. And I was like, let's think about it because Martinelli's first two games weren't that great. But I'd rather be giving the opportunities there. It's not harsh. It's not harsh to say that the 20 minutes was brilliant from Pepe, but the 70 minutes barred the cross into the box wasn't good enough. I'm sorry, but it's not harsh. That's a fact. It was not good for 70 minutes of the game and 20 minutes was really good. And that is not good enough overall for a performance. Because what the problem is, is we are sacrificing Bakayo Saka on the right-hand side, which is his best position, to play Pepe there. It's not me saying that Pepe is a bad footballer. It is me saying that I want better than Pepe. I want better than him. And teams that are getting into the top six, he does not get into those sides. He doesn't get into Liverpool. He doesn't get into Chelsea. He doesn't get into City. He doesn't get into... I mean, let's be real. He doesn't get into to Leicester right now. He doesn't get into any of these sides. Does he get into West Ham? Are you picking him over Jared Bowen for West Ham or Ben Rama or Four Nows? Because he's not getting into their team above them right now. He's just not. And so we need players that are going to get into our team alongside those top six sides. And Pepe just doesn't do that yet. Saka, at 20 years old, is showing more to me. His goal contributions may not be there, but it's the consistent performances that Saka brings. It's his impact on wins. It's his impact on points gained. And when you shift Saka out to the left-hand side, which completely douses his stats in cold water and just 
puts them down. So we can't really get involved in the game anywhere near as much if people want to talk about a comparison of stats. You can't compare the two statistically because Pepe's involvement forces Saka into a position that he's not good enough in. He's not good enough in at left wing. That's not his natural game. For, time, for year after year after year, Arsenal have been a side that force square pegs into round holes and it needs to stop. It needs to stop because until we start playing players in their right positions, we will continue to falter and stutter and be stagnated in the forward line. And it's really frustrating. Oh, I spoke for so long. Don't your mouth's going dry. Let's get some of your thoughts and feelings in the chat box about Pepe and see what you guys are saying. Um, Junior says, there were fans, Slayton, Thierry, Henry, for staying, stating the obvious. We lack the ability to stay, play possession effectively. No style of play. Poor uh, in-game management, impotency and attacking. I criticised Henri for the timing of his comments. Um, I said that what he said was spot on. <laughs> I said he was very honest. It just the timing of his comments was a bit odd. Tim says, we punt meteorites at Pepe, isolated against... Oh, we don't punt meteorites at Pepe. Pepe's touch is bad. It's bad. Like He is one of the worst touches of a skillful, technical, talented player I've ever seen. His first touch, his second touch is a tackle. And it's something that I know I was really bad at at football because on Sunday League, my manager would turn around to me and be like, Tom, your second touch is always a tackle. You need to improve it. And I see it week after week with Pepe. His second touch is so often a tackle. He takes that first touch to bring it into him. It's heavy. And the next ball, he's stretching to try and keep it. And, and what really frustrates me about him is that he can't take players on well enough. He gets that typical kind of cut on the left-hand side, shoot, gets that save from Gaeta that leads to Aubameyang's goal. But it's not regular enough. There are very, very brilliant players that have gone for history, like Arjen Robben, that still, while we know what they're going to do, are good enough and have the close control and the technical ability that doesn't know that you know what he's going to do. He can still do it. Pepe doesn't have that level of ability. And I'm just kind of done there. Now, let's talk about someone that I have been very defensive of in the past, who has been, let's be frank, very poor. Thomas Partey, again, was really, really poor. I do think it's more down to the position that he's playing in. I'm not sure he can work as the sole number six. I said in the previous show that I wanted to see us use the 4-2-3-1. I wanted the Conga to play alongside Partey because I think whilst Granit Xhaka is out, we'd need to be giving him more time, more minutes on the pitch. He wasn't great when he came on either. But I just feel like the 4-3-3, we just don't have the personnel for it. I don't think Partey is a lone six. But taking that aside, again, really lazy in possession at times. It just feels like he's got too much space. I used this example last time against Brighton. Partey is playing like he's in La Liga right now. And as someone who's watched my fair share of La Liga and being a big defender of La Liga, the difference between La Liga and the Premier League is that you get a lot more time on the ball. You get a lot, lot more time on the ball in Spain to do your work. You don't do that in the Prem. And the fact that it's taken over a season and he's still not quite getting that he needs to be more urgent and quicker with his passing and quicker with his decision-making, that's a worry to me. And you guys know from watching this channel how much I love and wanted and was desperate to see Thomas Partey join because I believe him to be a brilliant midfielder. And he is a brilliant midfielder. He just needs to adapt quicker because he's being too slow with his decision-making. And that cost us a goal last night. Cost us a massive, massive goal last night. Kieran Tierney, again, I'm not sure what's going on. 
I really, I'm really not sure what's happening with Kieran Tierney. I don't know if it's frustration. I don't know if it's him just being a bit fed up with the fact that he's playing in a team that just can't attack right now. Because let's be real, all of his talents are in the forward, forward thinking sense. Everything about Kieran Tierney, you don't, you don't pick him for his, for his defensive skills. You pick Tierney because he adds so much in the final third. He's just not been able to, to, to work. I don't think he works with a left footer on the left-hand side. I think he works better with Smith Rowe on the left-hand side or a Martinelli to play or a right footer to give you that balance. I don't think it works. He maybe is a bit overworked right now. I think he's going through a rough patch. I think Rahul, that's very, very reactionary to say that Tierney is overrated. Very reactionary. I don't think Kieran Tierney is overrated. Kieran Tierney is one of the first players on the team sheet, without a shadow of a doubt. But his deliveries... His performances have dropped. And all of these things that I've talked about there is one of the big reasons why I think we need to switch to the back three. I think we need to change to the back three. I think we need to see a, a Tierney drop into that left centre-back, the role that he played really well in the international break for Scotland. I think Nuntavaj has been a fantastic player in a few performances that we've seen him. Play him at left wing-back, add his chaos factor to the team where he just runs for days, attacks. Yes, defensively is questionable, but he's playing in front of a back three if you use him in there. Have him just attack with chaos down the left-hand side. You can then provide those two central midfielders, be it Lukonga and Partey, more cover by having a back three of Tierney, Gabriel and Ben White. And Ben White, by the way, who I thought was probably our brightest defender yesterday, was so good in that right centre-back position for our uh, for Brighton in their back three that it would naturally suit his style. It then allows you to either you can do two things. You can either go three four three, and you can play Smith Rowe or Erdegar, Abameyang up top or Lacazette, and then you can choose Saka on the right wing, or you can go three five two, and opt to choose Lacazette and Abameyang. Because let's be real, what is the number one thing Arsenal try to do with the style that they're using right now? We try to use the wings. We overload the wing areas, we get players running up and down the left-hand side, and we chuck balls in the box. So all the while we've got this manager in charge, and that's what he's going to try and do, why not have two strikers up there in a 3-5-2 formation? With Bamiyang and Lacazette playing together, so at least you've got another player in the box to try and take those chances. Is it the way that I want my team to play in the future? If I was manager, if I was wanting a coach to play the perfect style that I want to see, is 3-5-2 what I want? Absolutely not. Not a chance. I want to see Arsenal playing free-flowing, 4-3-3, 4-2-3-1 style football, playing with as much dominance as Man City and Liverpool. But we, under this coach, in this manner, at this moment in time, simply do not have the ability to do it. And therefore, you need to stop forcing a square peg of a team into a round hole and play to its strengths. And its strength was playing with a back three that won us an FA Cup in 2020. And that's why we need to stop just forcing this style onto a team and instead play to the strengths of what we currently have available. It might be that we end up changing manager and the manager that comes in wants to go and bring in a 4-3-3 or 4-2-3-1. Great. But right now, Arteta needs to just take a bit of a reality check and realise that the players that he's using and what he's trying to do is simply not good enough. And so you need to play to their strengths. And in my view, playing with a three at the back system is what Arsenal need to do. And to be honest, let's be real. We've just watched Thomas Tuchel go and win a Champions League playing with a three at the back system. It's not defensive. It's not a weak formation. It's very successful. Antonio Conte, for all those people wanting him in, won the league with a three at the back system. 
it is not something that you should be turning your nose up as an opportunity. That's the issue for me. Uh, let's scroll up. Uh, Schrodinger's cat flat. Erdogan again missing. Last two games, Martin Erdogan is someone I'm very defensive of. Invisible. Has not impacted the game in the last two games, the same as a lot of players. But he has gone from a player that I was raving about for his pressing against Spurs, against Burnley, against Norwich. Did not stop running. He was a inspirational player in our team for the pressing that he provided. Where's that gone? He's had two weeks. I know he's in on the international break, but he's had two weeks away from club football. Where has the pressing from Erdogan gone? Where's the energy? Where's the running? Where's the forcing opposition into mistakes? It just doesn't seem to be there when we play a 4-3-3. I agree with my colleague Hush at the Arsenal way, where we talked about after the game, that we need to play Odegaard in a, in a number 10 position and in a more advanced free role than playing in this, this deeper position. I'm not sure that it can work. And I remember writing, actually, about it, trying to like, theorise, could Odegaard possibly play in a deeper, creative mid central midfield role? And on reflection, I'm not sure that he can. I'm not sure that you get that same amount of flair. And I think we probably have to invest. And speaking of investing, not bringing in a central midfielder in the summer that was a significant upgrade on what we already had was a big mistake. A big mistake. And it would take an incredibly agendered person to not admit that we are missing Granite Xhaka right now. We need better than Granite Xhaka but we are missing him. Absolutely. Would he have a mistake in him? Yes. Would he have a red card in him? Probably. Would he make an error? Sure. But all of what he does bring, we are missing that. It is just fact. It is pure, undiluted fact that he is being missed right now. And that falls on the club for not bringing in a central midfielder in the summer. We need better than Xhaka. If someone's, if you're not a big fan of Xhaka, if you want Xhaka to leave, if you want to tell him to F off, whatever, if you never want him anywhere near the club, that's fine. But you cannot sit there and tell me that Granite Xhaka and the presence is not better than Lakonga right now, is not better than playing the 4-3-3 right now. It's just pure fact that he is being missed. And the, the qualities that he is good at, he is being missed missed. Partey looks better alongside Xhaka. That game in the North London derby was the antithesis of what Xhaka brings to the team. Calmness, control and solid, accurate, forceful passing into the wide areas. And I think Kieran Tierney's drop in performance is definitely affected by the lack of, of Xhaka not being there. Of Xhaka not being there and playing those passes to the left-hand side. That that for me is the is is the big crux of this, and that is not for me to say that. Oh, bring him back in as soon as possible. Give him the captaincy. He's world class. Not what I'm saying. He's missed, but we need better than him, and we didn't buy it in the summer, which is still why we look at that window ultimately as a failure. I think the the, the signings that we've made from Edu were really good. But we entered that transfer window in the summer going that the main, 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 main position this 2021 summer window is an upgrade in the central midfield to provide Thomas Partey with the quality partner that he needs to push us towards our targets. It's too little too late. And this, this season is proving to be an opportunity missed. If we'd have won that game yesterday, we would have gone two points within the top four. 
And we've said this a few times. When other teams drop points, like Man United did last weekend, we miss these opportunities. And I cannot help but not look past the gaping hole of a midfielder that we have not added this summer. And it's just, just was so naive not to do it. Really, really was. I think Lukonga's great. I think Lukonga is going to turn into a really good midfielder one day. But he was not a priority over bringing in that starting top-class player. And what frustrates me is another thing. is I've got all the time in the world for Ben White. I like Ben White. I think we need to add something in the summer in that area. But you know what? There's a kid playing in France right now who I agreed with sending on loan purely because of the fact that I knew the manager was not going to play him. So I was like, look, if you're not going to play Saliba, send him on loan. Because I'd rather see him playing and proving you're wrong than sitting here on the bench and not ever getting a minute. But £50 million we spent on Ben White that could have been spent on a central midfielder instead brought in Saliba. It's just, I, I, I struggle to know how we as fans can piece that together and yet there's such a reluctance to do things in that sense for Arsenal. I'll tell you what, if Sleever doesn't come back next season after the season that he's having and get given an opportunity, I mean, I wouldn't blame him if he doesn't want to, that's for sure. But it's a lot of money we spent on a position and on the number of the player that's now doing excellently after having an excellent six months at Nice. It's, and when, you speak to, when I speak to Jeremy Smith, who is not only a French football expert, but a Brighton fan and has watched Ben White consistently, who tells me that Saliba is no worse than Ben White, how you can spend £50 million is ridiculous. Uh, still, not having anyone uh, abusing any players or coaches, please. So let's get rid of you. Um, Let's go to Amandeep, who says, what was White thinking backing off so much? Had Edouard not taken a shot, White would have next, stood next to Right, Amandeep, what I need to say is, is in certain situations on the pitch, backing off is not backing off. It's something called jockeying. If you commit in those types of positions there, players take it round you. It's a different, it's not Sunday league. You're not sticking your leg out and getting the tackle in there. The players are good enough that they just take it round you. What I have an issue of backing off is, is when it's at the halfway line, Teams are hitting us on the counter and then we're not trying to be a more, more aggressive and win the ball back. But in those certain positions, you need to jockey because diving in, you're going to you're not going to win in those situations where the striker's running at full tilt on the edge of the 18-yard box. So I have no issue, I have well, much less of an issue with the player jockeying in that scenario than I do with them doing it on the halfway line. We back, we used to back off so much under Unai Emery. We still do it under Arteta. It's something that does need to change. But I didn't look at too much of what Ben White doing too much wrong there. Um, it was just, it was a really good shot from Ben Take as well. Edouard, I mean, Ramsdale, the, the shot from Edouard was strange. I think Ben White made it unsighted. And I think the strike from Odson Edouard was insane. And it's really difficult when those ones hit the underside of the bar and go in. Yeah, that that is a little bit of a, I'm not sure how much of a blame to put on Ramsdale. And it's difficult when he's been so good. But that's that's the problem. Also, I'll tell you what, Patrick Vieira, right? Patrick Vieira is doing very good things at, at Palace. He's made some good signings. He's getting some decent results. But he's won one game. And whilst I'm all with the idea of changing coach, and my mind's not changed on that since Villarreal, and I said after the North London derby that I want to get back on the train. I'd love to get back on the Arteta train for him to prove me wrong. Absolutely. But the problem is, 
is that he's not showing anything right now that makes me want to do that. So I'm still very much in changing coach, I think is the right and the best thing for the club. But shouting for Patrick Vieira to come in, it just frustrates me. That really, really gets to me. He's an inexperienced coach who went to New York, did an okay-ish job, went to Nice, again, did an okay-ish job, has gone to Palace, and after eight games has won just one match, and all of a sudden we need to bring him in. No. Why is that going to help us? We've just gone down the nostalgia trip with Arteta. Vieira's not the answer. I want someone with experience. I want someone with clout. I want someone that's going to come in and has got a genuine pedigree of taking a team and improving them and reaching the targets. I don't want a coach that's inexperienced anymore. I don't want a coach that's got one win from eight games. I want a coach that's got experience of improving players, improving a team and getting to the targets that we need. Stop just throwing names out into the ether because it's different to Arteta. You need someone that's actually going to be tangibly good with this side. That's good, got a good style of play. I don't know what Vieira's style of play is yet. I think there is the essence of someone that's trying to play a counter-attacking style at Palace, play some more football than Roy Hodgson did at Palace. But there's not yet a defined style of this coach that would be implemented straight away into the Arsenal team. It's just not there. And that's why I'm so frustrated at times just to see, oh, yeah, go get Vieira. Oh, go get this guy. Go get Thierry Henry. Bring him in. Why? Why would we want to do that? Why do we want to put ourselves in the position? If you want to shout for someone like Luis Enrique, I can get on board with that. The guy's got pedigree. He's improved Spain to no end. He's got a Spain. If you look at that Spain team... And you look at the amount of young players that are in that Spain team, ironically, a young Spanish team, young Arsenal team. He got them to the semi-finals of the Euros. He's got them to the final of the Nations League. He's doing a brilliant job with a very underrated, not underrated actually, arguably overestimated side. He's getting more out of that team than you would ever expect anyone to get from a Spanish team. He's never going to want to leave Spain because he's got the World Cup next year. But that that is it. And right, JT... In the chat box, Ten Hag, immediately. Explain to me, JT, why Ten Hag is your choice. I don't know enough about Ten Hag. I don't watch the Eredivisie. I don't watch Ajax. I've not seen them play. And yet, there are somehow a million Eredivisie experts all of a sudden that have watched every game that Ten Hag has ever played that know his style inside out. But Why is Ten Hag the right man? I'm not saying he isn't, by the way. I don't know. I don't know enough information to say he is. But people just throw in these names and think that that's good enough. I want to know why that's your choice. Why is it going to be him? Who has he improved? Why is he dominating a league with a team like Ajax? It's really hard to judge for a team like Ajax who, you know, do really, really well in the Eredivisie, along with the likes of PSV, because they are a very dominant side. So it's really difficult for a whole team. It's different when I look at players. I think you need to look at players individually. But with the team that he's got there, is he doing enough to say, yes, he is going to move? Or would, to be honest, I'd like to see Ten Hag say move into the Bundesliga. I'd like to see Ten Hag move into La Liga or move to another Premier League team before we make that choice. I'm trying to think. Um, let me just have a quick look at Peter Bosch. Peter Bosch managed Ajax. He went, went to Borussia Dortmund. He went to Bayer Leverkusen. He went to Le- and now he's at Lyon. Now, he eventually failed at Bayer Leverkusen, did Peter Bosch. Now, I remember a lot of people wanted to see him come in for the work that he'd done at Ajax during that single season. Um... 
And because he got them to the Europa League final, if you remember, and they lost to, to Manchester United. But Peter Bosch has since really dropped off. And that, I'm not saying that they're similar, I don't know. But I just need to know some tangible evidence and explanation as to why him. And I don't really know why we're talking about managers because we all know that he's not going anywhere. <laughs> we all know that the club aren't going to do anything. We all know that they are going to stick with him because I know for a fact that the club are 100% behind him. I was speaking to someone the other day that were like, the, the new dressing room, right? That new dressing room, you can see the links to Man City's dressing room with that new dressing room. Have a look at the comparable pictures between the two. And tell me that they are not, that there has not been inspiration taken from Man City's dressing room. And in my mind, that points towards Mikel Arteta having a big impact on the influence of the design of what's going on inside the stadium. So if that is happening, we are nowhere near, nowhere near getting rid of Arteta. It would take, I don't think he's going anywhere this season. I think we could finish outside the top six. And I still don't think he'd go. I think my hot take at the start of the season for football.london was no matter how bad this season gets, Arteta will not be sacked. I cannot see it. There is a complete different feel around this situation as there is in comparison to the Unai Emery. When I was speaking to Charles Watts on the show the other day, he spoke and said that you had the feeling that Unai Emery's time was up. The dressing room had been lost and he had lost everything. Arteta has not lost the dressing room. The amount of times I've seen accusations that Arteta's lost the dressing room is unbelievable. He's not. Did you see that team in the North London derby? They have not lost. He has not lost the dressing room, but he's not getting the best out of those players. People throw that statement, oh, he's lost the dressing room out so easily without actually understanding what that means. Unai Emery lost the dressing room. There were players actively rebelling. There were players like Meza Ozil, of course, that we know the issues that were going on behind the scenes and that bled into other players like Kalasnach, etc. There was active disharmony within that group. There's no disharmony within the Arsenal group right now besides the ones that have been exiled on loan to Marseille. The issues within the Arsenal group are down to coaching, down to a lack of style, down to a lack of direction and guidance. And that he's not lost. And that's worrying, arguably, that he's not lost the dressing room and they're playing this badly. If anything, it's worse. I'd rather, I'd rather he'd lost the dressing room and we were playing like that because then I've got a big, big reason to say, oh, right, well, we can point some fingers at the players because they're not playing for him. <laughs> but we can't say that because he's not lost the dressing room. They're very much behind him and they're not playing well, even though they are behind him. So that's 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 the issue that we find ourselves in. Uh, 145 mins of football against our rivals and he hasn't lost the dressing room, really. Yeah, no, he hasn't, HV. There is no evidence to suggest he's lost the dressing room. A team playing badly is very different to a team not behind their coach and you need to be able to separate the two. Because one does not lead to the other. They are, causation and correlation are very, very different things. And it is a coincidental. These players are behind the coach. And I know this from speaking to people that know this stuff. They are very, The club is behind them. The players are behind them. It's just not working. And that's more worrying than a coach that's lost the dressing room and things are going like this. Let's have a go. Uh, Stephen shouting. Let's not shout, but I do want to read this out. All these fans think they can run a football club, but they couldn't run a bath. <laughs> Look, at the end of the day, fans are emotive. Fans are, and I am one of them, are very emotive. That's why we call this show the Raw Reactions Show. 
but I get very frustrated with points of view that just aren't, they aren't based on anything factual. That's what I get frustrated with, that they're just accusations at the end of the day. What we, what the facts are is that we aren't very good. That's the facts that we have right now. We're not very good. Things aren't improving. We're missing a player like Granit Xhaka, who we should have upgraded upon in January, and that falls on Edu and Arteta. And we are missing clear and big opportunities this season to get where we need to be. And that is always going to be a big, big problem. Ifa says Palace was missing their best player in Zaha and they still made us miss Xhaka. All players cannot be fit for a whole season. The coach needs to have plan Bs. The lack of a plan B is not just in players, it's in style. As soon as a team stop Arsenal playing in the wide areas, we are nothing. We are threat levels go through the floor in how poor we can then be. If you watch Arsenal play week in, week out, which I'm sure opposition coaches are doing, all you need to do is look at how to stop Arsenal in the wide positions. Game over. Done. You can worry about counter-attacking. That's all you need to worry about to get against to play against Arsenal. Restrict the wide areas. Hit on the counter. Pray for an individual area, which will likely come because it's Arsenal. Score your chances when they come. Brighton didn't do that. Brighton could have easily won their game a couple by a couple of goals, if not more. If you are clinical against Arsenal, you'll win if you stop Arsenal in the wide areas. It's just two things. Stop Arsenal in the wide area, be clinical, win against Arsenal. That's, it's as simple as that. It's really genuinely as simple as that because there is no other option. We are so one-dimensional. It's ridiculous. Um, Harvey says, many of us are frustrated and sometimes that can give thoughts that's reactionary. Agreed, Harvey, and I, I agree with you. But it won't stop me criticising. <laughs> it won't stop me criticising those points, though. Um, no, you can just get blocked instead. Um, Neil says, Tom, Southgate played with one defensive midfielder. Poor performance in the last match. Man United played one defensive midfielder and lost. Still Arteta experiment. Um, I mean, Man United... Pictures. Let's have a look at what they played against Leicester... Uh, Pogba, Matic and Fernandes. I know that Pogba plays in kind of this weird eight role, but let's be real. Like Man United have been losing games hand over fist, whether they played two midfielders or not. They've been not been very good at all. So this system doesn't seem to work for us. Um, let, let's talk about something in the game. Do you think MacArthur should have been sent off for the kick on Saka? My instant reaction was No. Um, I didn't think it was worthy of a red card. You never see those given as red cards. He was going for the shot, but it was very, very late, and he just kind of booted the player. It's in a real grey area. It's one of those orange card situations for me. I'm not sure I'd like to see someone sent off um, for Arsenal if that happened. That's always why I try and put myself in that situation. I go, if an Arsenal player did that, how would I feel? Um, not just with the raw element of of that situation. Uh, Nick B, it doesn't matter if the whistle's blown. Something can still happen after the whistle's blown. You can get sent off for it. Um, but I know a lot of people think it was a, a red. However, he should have been booked about two seconds earlier for his tackle on Smith Rowe. That was a yellow card all day long. So it maybe have never would have happened. The, the question you've got to ask is, is it a clear and obvious error from the referee? And I'm not sure... I'm not sure because he was very much in line with it and he saw it. But 
basal fact is it's very it's borderline is what it is two yellows says john uh dave says yes 100 percent uh he should have been sent off when i reviewed it santa says yes uh probably not me says nope never a red card uh if it was jacka says matt it would have been a red card so i could agree with you there uh, James Jakarta would have been sent off. Uh, Sarbajit says, thoughts on starting a 4 one I mean, we're pretty much doing that now, to be honest. That pretty much was what we did yesterday, to be fair. Yes, with VAR. Uh, Saka, we don't really know the extent of Saka's injury. I assume it's just a dead leg from something like that. He may not be fit to start on Friday because we're playing on Friday, which is ridiculous. Um, but yeah, we'll see. Alistair says, Tom, who is the most realistic sense defensive mid that we can go in for since December? Loads, mate. Spend 50 million quid on Basuma. Spend 40, 30 million quid on Bruno Guimaraes. Go out and get a Fabian Ruiz for 40 million from Napoli. Go out and get these players. That's what we need to do. David Luiz would have got a red card, says Tane. Neil says Tom Gallagher, two yellows, so a red. Poor refereeing. Um, the problem is VIR does not even look. Uh, Matt Alexander says, Tom, what do we do as fans? We need inspiration. Look, Matt, all you can do as fans is get beyond the team. All you can do is hope that things change. If you want Arteta gone, and I think a lot of us do, I think I, I've sat here and said I'd, I'd be open to a change of manager, but I still want him to turn things around. I still want him to go and win that game against Villa. I still want him to find a defined style. I still want him to play the right players. I want him to find the best situation because if Arteta's winning, Arsenal winning. That's all I care about. That's all I want. All I want is to see Arsenal winning. It's not about wanting him to... If you want Arteta to lose so he's sacked, you're not a fan. You're just not. It's factual. You're just not an Arsenal fan if you ever want Arsenal to lose. Unless the only situation, and I always bring this up, the only situation when you can ever, ever, ever want Arsenal to lose if it means it stops Spurs from winning the league. That is the only time ever you can want Arsenal to lose. But beyond that, you must support Arsenal. You must support Arteta. You must hope. And when I say support Arteta, you can still want a change of coach and support him. It's really easy. It's really easy because all you have to be like is, I want Arteta to win the next game and the next game and the next game. That's how you support the coach. And then you sit there and you go, I think a change of coach would be the best option for Arsenal right now, which I think it is. I think that a change of coach for Arsenal is still at the moment the best decision. But I want Arteta to win and to turn things around because it means that Arsenal turn things around, which is the primary and always, always the priority is Arsenal turning things around and winning. I don't care who the coach is as long as Arsenal are winning games. That's all I care about and I want him to, to succeed. But my opinion based upon what I've seen so far is at a point where I believe a change of coach would be for the benefit of the club. That's just where I am and where my opinion is right now. If you want Arteta to lose, I don't want you watching the show. I don't want you as an Arsenal fan. I don't want you anywhere near my timeline. You're not a fan if you want Arsenal to lose. It's just not what we're about at Arsenal. We're about Arsenal winning. That's why we go to the games, pay for our TV subscriptions, watch at ridiculous times in the morning wherever you are in the world. That's why we watch Arsenal, is because we want to see them win. We don't watch Arsenal to want them to lose so a manager gets sacked. It's a stupid, bone-idle opinion, and I wish it would not exist. But it does, because the world exists full of silly people. <laughs> That's as simple as that. And with that, I'm now going to go and take a three-day break from worrying about Arsenal. 
jokes. I'm going to be here tomorrow morning for the ATM news show, so I don't get to escape from Arsenal. But I do get a day off today, so I won't be on the 9.30. But if you want our more Arsenal content, do go over to the Arsenal Way and watch their 9.30 a.m. show. We'll be doing an analysing Arsenal show, of course, to break down that game against Crystal Palace, and I'll be doing that over on the Arsenal Way as well. Try and have a good week. I'm going to be at the game on Friday, which I'm very excited about. Um, I'm going to be hopefully, I'll be obviously joining up with Mike from the Gunners Pod, who I know was there last night. I had a great time with the likes of Elliot and Clive from the Arsenal Vision Pod. I know that a fair few of our members are actually going to be going there. Uh, I'm going to try and let people know which pub we're going to be at. So if you want to come and say hello to everyone, uh, it's going to be a lot of people there that you should be that you should know. So uh, I will let uh, I will let you know. But fingers crossed, fingers crossed, we have a great game and uh, we win again because if we can't beat Palace without Zaha, I really do worry. But there's there's small glimmers of hope. Play just play the right team. Just play the right team. Matt, I don't know what pub we're going to yet, mate. We we haven't decided yet. We're gonna it'll be one of the Tolly or the Pins. We don't know yet. We'll work out which one we're going to very soon, I'm sure, and we'll let you know. Um, thank you for listening. Do drop a like on the video. Do subscribe to the channel if you're new around here with those notifications turned on so you never miss a show. Enjoy your Tuesday. Just click away from Arsenal for a bit. Do watch the Arsenal Lounge tonight. I, I'm not on it. Um, I can't be there tonight, but do go and watch the Arsenal Lounge with Shaheen and Lev and Mo. Um, I will be back next week. It's just because it's on a Tuesday and Tuesdays are really difficult for me in the evening. Um, but uh, but yeah, have a fantastic day. Enjoy the rest of your week and I'll see you tomorrow morning for the 8am show. And as always, up the Arsenal. It's the 90 plus minute. All your mates around, and you've got a McNuggets share box ready to go, and you know a late winner's coming. Your mates already got booked for a double dipping, and you steal the last nugget, snatching all three points. Perfection. Order now on the McDonald's app for your McDelivery. You in? At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee, and terms apply. See McDonald's.com. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered. By fans.